try to accomplish a lot of things in about 15 or 20 minutes this morning. I want to celebrate the Lord Jesus, what God's done here. I want to talk a little bit about where I think we're going and why. There'll be more information and time for questions and things after, but um, I was interested that Kevin picked, without knowing what I was doing this morning, he, as the prayer leader, felt led to Psalm 125, where this bold statement, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. This bold statement, I'm preaching from Psalm 126 this morning, the Psalm of Ascents. And this Psalm talks about the exiles coming back from captivity. And here's the Psalm, if you have your Bible, Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter, our hearts and tongues with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Put a question in your mind. Why would you sow? I've sowed some things in my life, not like a farmer does, but I've sowed a little thing. Sowing doesn't seem to me to be necessarily a thing I go about weeping. I actually enjoy sowing. You know, you throw the seed on the ground, right? It doesn't seem to me to be one of those activities that would naturally I'd associate with weeping, right? But it's it's a famous passage. Many of you have heard it before. You sow in tears. Why? Think about that. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. The exiles were coming back after they couldn't have imagined that they would be released from captivity. Seventy years they'd been held by the greater power of Babylon. Then God moved heaven and earth, literally changed the circumstances of the world And part of the outcome of that, when Cyrus became king, was releasing those and sending them back to this land they'd never known. These people had grown up in captivity, but they'd now been sent back to a place they couldn't imagine, and it wasn't by... They had done nothing. They were completely recipients of the mercy and grace of God who had released them from captivity. And it says... In the opening scripture, it says, when, when this happened, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. We say that still today, right? Don't we? We say it's like, I must be dreaming. That's, that's what it felt like to me when a few months ago, someone said, we have land and I want to provide resources for the land and I want to make this available. It was sort of, I sort of felt like that. I mean, sort of felt like, what? It's like a dream. I'm, uh, Lord, I, This wasn't my plan. This wasn't something I engineered or orchestrated. When I look back on 15 years, essentially, from when this church started with about, with 13 people and week after week we struggled with about 13 people and then year after year we'd rise to the vast uh, sum of about 20 and then shrink back to about 13. And then there would be, I put in all my effort and all my skills and all my giftings, and we got down to about eight. (laughs) 
And, you know, I, I can just, I've told this before, but, you know, just, it's, I, at some point you got to pull the plug, right? You just say, you know, this is not working. God, where are you? That's a question I ask a lot. God, where are you in this? Because I know you're there. It's never a question of whether he abandons us or not. It's just a question of where are you? And I know for you guys and where your lives are now and where it's been, you've got to ask that question sometimes, right? God, where are you? What, what's happening here? I don't, I don't get it. I don't see where I fit. Lord, I need to have my fortunes restored here. I don't know where. And, and then God, in His faithfulness, with minimal resources and a few of us trying to do everything that needed to be done, and then God began to provide people. So many of you are here, having walked in. All of you are here, but some walked in when there was just literally 10, 20, 30 people here. And God, for whatever reason, you said, I'll stay. God bless you. I don't know that I would have. But I blink, and here we are. We're, we're at a point where we're thinking about where do we go from here, Lord? And now six and a quarter acres of land soon to be finalized and ours. You're going to hear some practical aspects this morning of, of what we're thinking, and we, we want your input, and we want to include you in the process here, but we want to be really careful not to think that this is a permanent facility. You realize on earth there are no permanent facilities, right? It's, it's, it's funny because we, we'll talk about we're going to get a permanent facility, and it is actually one of the least permanent things we will do because this life is a breath. How many churches in the 250, 300 years of our country's existence are still standing, and the ones that are, how many are faithfully proclaiming the gospel? That's a shadow of a breath in the time. What we do that's permanent is what we do in walking in obedience to Jesus Christ. It is the people that He brings from death to life. It is watching our children and our grandchildren and others, friends and others who will come into relationship with Him that's going to be the permanent thing. This structure that we praise God will build is a home for permanent ministry. It is not the permanent ministry. Right now, God is doing so much in our body through you all. There's so many stories I get the privilege of hearing and many, many more that I don't hear of what He's doing in your lives and through you and other people's lives. And I, I celebrate that. If you didn't see it, I, we left on the sheets this morning. If you got in later, you may not have seen it. But I wrote up from my perspective a little, it has the classy title of Some Thoughts from Tim on the Adventure That Is Living Hope EPC. Take the opportunity to read that if you would, because it capsulizes at least my perspective on this. We've been studying the book of 2 Corinthians, and while I won't be expositing the, the chapter today, we'll go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I was very interested that where, we're, where we would have picked up is the verse 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Interesting. Talking about sowing and reaping. 
And that in particular, we talked about the radical generosity that Paul was asking for the suffering church in Jerusalem. And while certainly there'll be talk of finances and things as it relates to the church, I want to I want to address firmly two questions before we get back into Psalm 126. First question is this, can we have can we build the kingdom of God without owning our own facility? And the question is, what have we been doing the last 15 years, right? We don't need a facility to own one to build God's kingdom without a doubt. God isn't constrained by such things. But we've searched diligently, the leadership has, for the possibility of where we would meet. Look around you, all right? I know we have a few tables set up, but our growth is really being limited by our space here, and we know what's happening around us, and the construction is just about to start upon us. We've looked around diligently to find a spot to meet, and we've been unable to locate anything that would be suitable. So... We believe that having our own place is going to make ministry possible, not only to continue what we're doing, but I see the ministry that's happening at organizations where they uh, have made a provision and platform for God to move. And my heart and desire is to have a platform that God would move. And as we get, if we get squeezed out of here, praise God, He's the squeezer, right? But I want us to be ready because there will be a sacrifice involved. There will be lots of twists and turns along the way. But if God is leading in this, and I believe He is, then it's incumbent on those of you who call Living Hope home, let's do this together. You'll see that the building we're aiming for is simple, it's flexible, it's ministry-friendly, because it begs right into the second question, isn't this a lot of money for a structure? We don't have a final budget yet, but I guarantee you it'll be a lot of money by however, whatever measure, whatever the final budget, it'll be a lot of money. So there's always the question of, I mean, couldn't we spend that kind of money on ministry? Sure, we could. But there's also a time to sow because ministry that abounds in the reaping of the harvest, sometimes you sow in to platforms for ministry that are going to follow. And so we want to be diligent to be cost-effective, and we want to be, we're not trying to be um, in any way um, frivolous. We want to be frugal, and we have trying to put team together to be as frugal as possible, but there will be sowing to be done, and sometimes you want to eat the seeds. I love sunflower seeds, but there would be no sunflowers if we ate all the seeds. Sometimes you sow, and sometimes you eat them. And so, going back to Psalm 126, I want to do three things. I want to, first of all, I want to thank Jesus Christ. Joe said it well on that video, is that our purpose, our heartbeat of the church, is to live out that knowing Jesus Christ changes everything. If you don't know Him, I mean truly know Him, then you're on the hamster wheel. And that things will just keep revolving around. To know Jesus Christ will change your life. And we want to boldly proclaim that. And through no one else but Jesus will it happen. And I just want to give thanks to the Lord today for, for saving me now 42 years ago, for opening my eyes to see His truth. And my family and you all, what a tremendous blessing it is just to have the privilege of serving Jesus. And I know many of you share that as well. 
This church is a testimony to a God that makes hopeless things come alive. And that's only possible by a God who raises from the dead. And I want to encourage those of you who struggle with how is this ever going to happen? I don't know what your particular circumstance is, but the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So please don't despair. I was tempted as I was tempted to do, and yet God's encouragement was incredible. Going back to that initial question I asked and looking at our future. Those who sow in tears, the psalmist says, shall reap with shouts of joy. I was reading a commentary by John Piper recently, and he said about this passage, he said this, he said, there, while sowing itself isn't necessarily a tearful thing to do, life is. Life is sometimes tearful, right? Life is sometimes full of almost unimaginable sorrow. It's a part and parcel of what we sometimes experience, right? I think the question that the psalmist asks, and I agree with Piper's take on this, is not whether or not the sowing itself is tearful, but whether in the midst of life will you keep sowing. Because if you don't sow because of things being so hard, and you say, I'm just going to stop with the whole Jesus thing, and you don't sow God's Word into your life, you don't sow God's Holy Spirit into your life, you don't do that, there will be no harvest without the sowing. And sometimes we have to sow with tears, and it's sometimes the best fertilizer, because often tears come from a softened, humble heart. And I know I've shed a few myself. Back then and recently, grieving over my own lack, and it's been some of you all coming alongside me and saying, you know what, we've got your back. We're there for you. We, we want to walk the path. And together, we need to sow God's Word. We live in a culture that is dying. It's darkening. And there is one light in our world. And it is the truth of Jesus Christ. It's not necessarily the building of living hope. That's going to be a platform for the life of Jesus Christ. And if you and I are willing to sow that seed and are willing to spread that news, we can be conduits and agents of a God who is still speaking and still bringing dead people back to life. Because you and I weren't bad people who needed to be made good people. We were dead people who are now alive people in Jesus, if you know Him. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joy. I've chosen to call this next sort of phase of, of, of life, whatever happens, and again, we're, we're going to look in a few minutes at kind of where we are in a very beginning part of the process. Nothing's been finalized. We don't even own the land yet. We're just, we're just getting started. But as you look at some of the particulars, would you remember this? We're going to call this building hope. Clever, right? What we want to do is build hope into individual lives and culture that, that, that does this. And we're going to do it. It'll be, it's years. The process just getting through the county is years. We don't know what will happen. Goodness knows. We, we all wake up some mornings and our world has changed, you know, 
inexplicably by one world event. We have no idea. We make our plans, and what does God do? He does what God does. He executes His judgment and His purposes. But we are going to sow. We're going to sow in God's Word. We're going to sow in individual lives. We're going to sow in disciples, making disciples. We're going to become disciples, and we're going to make disciples. That's how we're going to sow. And in the process, we're going to sow some dollars and some time into getting a facility so we can keep sowing into people's lives. That's what we're called to do. And that's what I want to call us to do. The harvest is coming. The fields are white. The question is, will we be prepared? Would you pray with me? Lord, I see your faithfulness. Lord, I look at the ministries that are represented in this room. Lord, I think about the church I grew up in, Church of the Apostles, and the way they sowed into people's lives for decades and all the fruit I see. I see the ministry of New Covenant and Emmanuel Bible, and I see the fruit of that. I see the current fruit of CCA and what you're doing in people's lives. I see so many local churches around here. I bless you for what you're doing in the gospel through through so many of the churches here. And Lord, we want to stand together to do our part, what the peace you've called us to do. Lord, but ultimately this isn't about us. This is about you. Because if we're not attached to the vine, we're going to wither and die as individuals and as a church. So Lord, we're, we're about your purpose, we're about your plan, and we pray that you would keep us sailing straight toward the destination. That, Father, we know they'll be tacking back and forth because the winds shift, but a good sailor knows when to tack, and you are the good sailor, Lord, you're the captain of the ship, and we anticipate that we as crew members, as deckhands, would be obedient to your call to do what needs to be done to get where you want us to go. Lord, first and foremost, this is about your life in us. And we do nothing more important than celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took a cup of wine. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. It's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, we do remember, we do celebrate, we do believe that you're the resurrection and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through you. And Lord, we are the recipients of your mercy and grace. And so we take these gifts that are for the people of God as reminders that we are children, children of mercy, fully adopted, full of grace and truth because of you. And so we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we get up to celebrate...
Our custom here is to take and dip one of the wafers in the wine. The darker ones are gluten-free. Once you've taken a wafer and dipped it in the wine, there'll be people available, several teams to pray for you. Let's take the opportunity to see God's goodness as we ask Him to minister. He has such power to give. He has such wisdom to give. So take the opportunity to pray for yourself or people you love or situations you're concerned about. This is a meal for those who believe in Jesus Christ. No one's obligated to take the meal. Come having confessed your sin, as the Scripture teaches, and come in your need for Him, confessing that He's sufficient for all those things. Can I ask those who are going to come and serve the communion to come take that? After the communion, rather than having a closing song, I'll ask you to sit back down and we're going to hear a little more specifics about where we're headed. And then we'll share lunch together for those who can stay.